Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Hudson Institute, expert on healthcare, Jeffrey Anderson. Jeff, welcome to the Back to the Podcast. Delighted to drag you into the studio for a change. Thank you, Michael. I want to just, before we talk about the current state of the Republicans and Obamacare, can you understand why people who watch the fiasco with the ethics committee might be a little nervous about the ability of this Republican team to change health care for 22 million people and not end up looking like Simon Legree and Mr. Potter's illegitimate child. You can understand that concern. Yeah, I can certainly understand that. Um, you know, Republicans have shown quite a remarkable ability to screw things up over the years, <laughs> and I don't think that's going to change overnight. As we've said on this podcast many times, when you look in the sights of a Republican gun, you inevitably see a Republican foot, <laughs> and that's a problem. But you've written for the Weekly Standard, and I urge everyone to check it out at weeklystandard.com, that there is a way forward on this difficult issue for the Republicans to both replace and repeal Obamacare and be the good guys. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the American people never wanted this thing in the first place. And so they've been waiting for six or seven years now for Republicans to put forward the sort of real reform that that, that Americans always wanted. So, But it's not going to be easy because um, Obamacare, uh, parts of it can be repealed with just a majority, but a lot of key parts require 60 votes. There's not a lot of evidence the Democrats are quite ready to play ball on this, despite all their electoral losses attributable to Obamacare. And uh, the, the real key is for Republicans to actually unite around and pass a, an alternative to Obamacare, a replacement. And, uh, and that's going to be the, the biggest challenge. So when you saw Speaker Ryan yesterday, uh, you know, stumbling through the answer to the question, where's your plan? And then uh, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer mocking him afterwards. You know, he's the smartest man in the House and he couldn't answer it. Does that tell you that the GOP doesn't have a plan to go forward? Well, they haven't united around a plan yet, which is unfortunate. I mean, it has been six or seven years and they've been a little slow on the draw on this. But I think the the good news is that Tom Price, of course, uh, Donald Trump's nominee for Health and Human Services Secretary, has put forward a plan in legislative form. It has 84 co-sponsors in the House, including people like Jeb Henserling, Trey Gowdy. Um, and, and that's a plan that I think people could really unite behind. So it's not like there isn't a plan, um, but they have to actually get uh, the full Republican caucus on board. So, uh, Jeffrey Anderson, if you were going to urge Republicans to unite around a plan, tell me about the details of that plan and then explain to me how it's a political winner in an environment where you know the media is going to say that person did have that coverage under Obamacare. That doesn't exist anymore. So the same people who forgave Obama for his, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor, will, of course, punish the GOP over that. Knowing how the game is played, does the plan you want them to rally around give them a chance to win the political and PR fight? Absolutely. I mean, I think the media and, and to a degree, Republicans have failed to realize how much there's a just a political bonanza out there that millions of middle class Americans who have to buy health insurance on their own get no tax break, even while their next door neighbor who gets their health insurance for their job does get a nice tax break. And it's been that way for about 70 years. So by simply giving these millions of middle class Americans a, a tax break, you, you'd have an awful lot of very happy voters who say, oh, well, all of a sudden I'm not getting the, the, the wrong end of, the, of, of bad treatment on this on this tax inequity. And, uh, and, and that would make it a, a huge difference overnight, in addition to the fact that, I mean, Obamacare has basically wrecked the insurance market. And so it, it, uh, repealing it, genuinely repealing it, would cause, cause costs to drop dramatically. Explain the tax break extension, or, you know, broadening that you just described. 
Right. So, I mean, like uh, under the Tom Price plan, which I was involved in helping to draft the legislation for that, they uh, uh, it would offer a, a $1,200 tax credit to anybody under the age of 35. If you're between 35 and 50, you get a $2,100 tax credit. And if you're 50 or over, you'd get $3,000 plus anyone would get $900 per child. And these tax credits could be used to buy whatever insurance you want. And so for a typical family of four with parents in their late 30s or, or 40s, this would be six thousand dollars in uh, in tax credits, which um, you know for a lot of people that's just a six thousand dollar tax cut. Uh, you think Americans wouldn't find that to be attractive? I mean, that is real money. And the amazing thing is that such a plan would actually uh, cut federal spending versus Obamacare by over a trillion dollars over a decade. So you could be both fiscally responsible and give the American people something they really like, um, and finally fix what the federal government broke 70 years ago when they decided to give preferential treatment to employer-based insurance over individual, ins- individually purchased insurance. Um, so tax credits, not tax deductions, because this is the kind of, you know, the, the two lanes that different Republicans are on. Some say, well, just now, well, well your, your boss can deduct health insurance costs, so we'll let you deduct what you spend on health care. There you go. Congratulations. Go buy yourself some health care. But you're saying, no, that's not enough. No, I think, I mean, to me, the happy middle ground is between a a tax deduction um, is pretty much useless to most of the people who get the the subsidies that Obamacare funnels directly to insurance companies and then mm-hmm. falsely calls tax credits. The, the people who are the recipients of those uh, through the insurance company are almost all people who pay no taxes or very, very little. So tax deduction leaves them with nothing. And that, I think that's that's a political non-starter. Um, on the other side of the coin, you have uh, have income-tested tax credits, which some people have proposed. And that that's really overkill the other direction, where tax credits are already, because they're just a flat amount, if you get, say, a $2,000 tax credit and you only make $20,000 a year, you just have a, that's a 10% uh, right. you know, that's 10% of your income, whereas much higher incomes are not worth as much. Tax credits are already very generous to low-income Americans. But, so anyway, the happy middle ground, I think, is a flat tax credit that varies only based on age, not based on income. Um, that's the happy middle ground between income-tested tax credits and, and tax deductions. Why age? Because healthcare just costs a whole lot more. Health insurance costs a lot more as you get older, and I th- that's just a reflection of that. It's not an appeal to elder voters to come love the Republican Party. No, it's really just a way to be fiscally responsible. <laughs> there, there's there's no reason to give as much to a younger person as you would to an older person. Mm-hmm. And yeah. no, no, I agree with you, and you can see why insurance. Uh, if you had a f- more market based insurance system, low-risk younger people would be paying less in because they're less of a risk. They're likely less likely to take out. They don't need as much money. But I, I'm simply pointing out that for people who are cynically political, one might see a confluence between the largest tax credits going to the people most likely to vote in the upcoming primary elections. I'm not that cynical. That wouldn't <laughs> be me. That would be somebody else. So the answer from Democrats is going to be, you took that guy's plan away, his silver plan, his bronze plan, whatever. You know, Mrs. Johnson doesn't have what she had before. You took it from her. What's the GOP's answer if they're going to do this repeal and make it make sense? Well, they're not going to take anybody's plan away. They're going to give them a tax credit that they can use to buy that plan. Or if they choose to buy an actual cost-effective plan, they could switch to that. They'll, unlike under Obamacare, they'd have a choice of plans that cost a lot less money. Now, this presupposes being able to repeal Obamacare in full, mm-hmm. including the part that, um, as I wrote about today, is uh, the most damaging cost-wise, and that's Obamacare's 
quote unquote community rating. Uh, mm. A friend of mine called it commie rating. Uh, <laughs> it, it basically says that you just wait around until you're already sick or injured and then buy quote unquote exactly. insurance. And then they wonder why prices go through the roof. Mm. I you mean, know, I lived in Massachusetts when they did Romney Care and before they fixed it, they had this problem. There was a very minimal penalty for buying insurance, you know, late. And so people would wait until they were sick pay the minimal penalty, get like $10,000, $15,000 in care, and then stop paying again. Exactly. And, and, and who wouldn't? I mean, not to be mean-spirited, but that's economically sensible. Yeah, it makes it extremely easy to game the system. I mean, exactly. this is something Republicans have been weak on, unfortunately, for the last exactly. six or seven years. Is Obama says, oh, Obamacare protects people with pre-existing conditions. Well, it's good to provide protections for people with pre-existing conditions, but not in a way that uh, changes the entire definition of insurance mm-hmm. and says that, oh, this notion of insurance that you buy it before the thing happens that you're insurance, uh, insuring against, and it's been around since the Renaissance, we'll, we'll just ban that from right. coast to coast, and then we watch premiums go up 40% in two years. Uh, one last question, that is the Medicaid question, because many people who, quote, are covered by Obamacare, close quote, aren't. They were just shoved into Medicaid as the uh, parameters were changed. What has that done to the care that's available to Medicaid patients who need it? And how would the plan that you want to Republicans rally around deal with that issue? Yeah, it's not just many people have been shoved into Medicaid. It's most. I mean, most of the quote unquote, uh, you know, 20 million people, mm-hmm. which I think is already uh, probably not an accurate number under Obamacare have been quote unquote newly insured or just dumped into Medicaid. And and uh, they can't get in to see doctors because the more Medicaid patients there are, the, the less doctors are willing to say, all right, we'll take the the pennies on the dollar that sure. the federal government pays for Medicaid patients. So all these people go to emergency rooms instead, and it costs a fortune. Mm-hmm. You see more people in emergency rooms now than you did before Obamacare was passed, ostensibly to try to help keep people out of emergency rooms. Um, so- Once again, same thing with Romney Care. Emergency rooms flooded, and people were stunned. They're like, I don't understand. These people have insurance. And the answer was, well, since I have this free insurance that I don't pay for, I decided to come on to the emergency room. I felt I had a tickle in my throat or whatever. You know, my knee hurt. And so they, they, exactly. they had it, so they used it. Right. And they used the uh, ins- uh, the emergency room as their primary care because that was their lifestyle. It had nothing to do with sitting down economically or wanting to visit old Dr. Schultz in his office down the street. It was, you know, I, I'm, I'm busy. I want to go to the doctor. I'll go to the emergency room. And yeah, that exactly. was their lifestyle. And when you're not paying, you don't have to exactly. worry about such things. Uh, under the plan that I think, uh, the Tom Price plan, for example, would, would say, uh, or I think I think Price plan says this. I mean, certainly plans that are very similar to the Price plan would say that the uh, um, anyone who's on Medicaid because of the Obamacare expansion would instead get a tax credit, just like anyone else, to use to buy private insurance. Um, anyone who is on Medicaid based on pre-Obamacare rules would have a choice of staying on Medicaid or, if they prefer, take mm-hmm. the tax credit and buy genuine insurance that might actually get you in to see a doctor. And is part of the big picture for making the healthcare system work better for more people to allow states to have more control of Medicaid funding, more control of Medicaid rules, and then try to find savings the way that uh, Wisconsin and some other states have. Yeah, certainly that's part of the uh, of the process. Let send some of the, the the opportunities to regulate in all aspects of healthcare back to the states. Although anytime you have the federal government funding as much as it does under Medicaid, I'm not sure how much you get out of uh, you know a kind of 
it's kind of a quasi-federalism at that sure. point. But uh, nevertheless, I think there can be improvements in that way. Jeffrey Anderson, thanks so much for joining us for the Weekly Standard Podcast. Thank you for listening to the podcast. You know, if you go to iTunes.com and subscribe, you'll never miss another Weekly Standard Podcast. It'll just pop right up in your iPhone, iPad, whatever. Also, we have great new products with our partners at PodcastOne.com, including the Crystal Clear Podcast that's available every Friday afternoon, PodcastOne.com. Thanks again for listening. I'm your host, Michael Graham.